So as you can see, we are moving ahead in our, our journey through Acts. So as I mentioned um, a few weeks back, our intention is not to go through every verse of Acts, but just to really zero in on those, you know, those, those points that we feel the Spirit leading us on. And so we moving moving just you know past the 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 end of the first chapter. The end of the first chapter is basically just. Uh, telling uh, the story of how uh, the, the, the apostles gathered together to, to select a replacement for Judas, and Matthias uh, ended up being that replacement. There's no further mention of Matthias in Scripture, so uh, no need to really spend a whole lot of time there. So we want to move into uh, this, this great event that we just read about together this event that happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, remember, Jesus had said to them that they were that they they would soon be baptized in the Spirit, and he told them that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. And so, of course, that was going to come on uh, the day of Pentecost. So, the the verses we just read tell us. Uh, about the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had made to them. So I want to, first of all, just touch on a, on a few things, uh, just more information type things, and then we'll move in and look at the application of the text. But notice that as, as we pick up in chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So, so this was the day. Remember, Jesus said, wait And it was because there was this specific day when all of this was going to happen. Now, the day of Pentecost, Pentecost means 50 days. And so this is 50 days after the the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, The Pentecost is also called uh, the Feast of Weeks because it's seven weeks from the Passover to Pentecost. And, And Pentecost is basically... A, a celebration of the harvest. That's what it is. So it's, it's you know, the, this whole thing of the children of Israel and the, the bountiful blessing of God upon them that was seen through the harvesting. Uh, Pentecost was the time to thank the Lord and to acknowledge that great harvest. It was one of the three major feasts of Israel that uh, all of the, the males 20 years and, and older were actually responsible to attend throughout the year. And so there was also with it, as we begin to understand here, there was also this prophetic element to it. Now, remember, um, the Feast of Passover was prophetic, right? It was to commemorate their deliverance from, from Egypt, but it was also... Speaking of the Lamb of God who would come and take away the sin of the world, just like the Lamb was slain in Egypt and the the angel of death passed over the people, that was pointing to uh, the greater fulfillment that would come through Christ in the future. So Pentecost is also that that prophetic feast that would speak about the beginning of the harvest, the beginning of the ingathering, not of wheat but of the souls of men. And so that's why this, this great outpouring of the Spirit, that's why it came 
on that day because, of course, the Spirit has been sent into the world for the purpose of this great harvest. That's what the Spirit is doing. He is bringing in um, the harvest. He, he is assembling the bride of Christ to one day present the bride to the bridegroom. So on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this supernatural thing happens. They're gathered together. There's the sound of a rushing mighty wind. There are these, um, these flames of fire that come down and are just there uh, resting just, just above the heads of the 120 people that are there. So this is a supernatural thing that's happening. And it says uh, here in the text that that they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now, I just want to clarify something here. Um, it tells us they were filled with the Spirit. Now, this is, this is Luke describing for us what was happening. Now, Jesus, when he talked about this day coming, this is what Jesus said about it. He said that they would be baptized in the Spirit. So Jesus says, not many days from now, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. Here's the event. As Luke records it, he doesn't use the word baptized, but he used the word filled. Here's the reason I'm bringing it up. Some people say, uh, well, what's the difference between being baptized in the Spirit and what's being filled in the Spirit? And I think from this, we can see that these are really interchangeable terms. You know, there are actually uh, denominations that are uh, divided from one another over this issue. Some believe in a baptism of the Spirit. Others say, no, 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 it's not a baptism. It's a filling of the Spirit. Uh, but it seems to me that we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the, the Spirit of God coming upon them in a dramatic way. And as a result of that, it says they spoke with other tongues. They spoke with other tongues. So there was a supernatural uh, enabling upon them to speak in languages that they, they did not know naturally. So it, the other tongues were tongues other than what were their uh, natural tongues. And so the miracle here is that they are proclaiming the wonderful works of God. They're speaking or telling, or the word could even be translated preaching. They're preaching the wonderful works of God and the people that have gathered for this feast. Remember, all of the males were required to come to Jerusalem for this feast. So they've come from all over that world. They've come from the east. They've come from the west. And the various nations are mentioned here. And all of these people are hearing the, uh, the praises of God being proclaimed in their own languages by men that uh, they recognize as not naturally being able to speak the languages. So, so they're marveling at this. And this then brings about an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. So as they're observing this, as, as this multitude, we know there were at least 3,000 people that gathered because we, as we read on in the story, uh, after Peter preaches, 3,000 responded to his offer of salvation and received Christ that day. So we know that there, there were at least 3,000 that gathered. Where did they gather? Somewhere in Jerusalem, maybe in a large 
uh, open area in a courtyard, perhaps in the, the portico of the temple. We're not quite sure. It's an incidental uh, issue anyway. But as, as they see this happening, and some are mocking, some are saying, oh, these, these, you know, these people are drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But then Peter goes on to say, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter says, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that Joel gave. And it's a prophecy, he said, about the spirit of God being poured out in the last days. And it shall come to pass, verse 17, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So I want you to notice this. Number one, the last days, Peter refers, Peter says, they say, what is this? He says, this is what Joel talked about that would happen in the last days. So here's what I want us to understand. The last days, although we commonly use that to refer to the time that we're in, which we are in the last days, but the last days didn't begin in the 20th century. Uh, they didn't begin in the 21st century. The last days began there at the day of Pentecost. The last days, uh, when the Bible uses the term the last days, it's describing the time between the first and the second coming of Christ. So the last days have been happening ever since uh, this time, and it's been marked by this outpouring of the Spirit. Now, when I hear people talk about the last days, what I often hear talk about is a last days apostasy. And in some ways, I hear this quite often, it's almost... um, being expressed in sort of a hopeless fashion, like, you know, uh, the days are just going to get darker. The days are just going to get worse. We know there's going to be a great apostasy. So that translates into, we shouldn't necessarily believe in or expect that there's going to be any further great work of God. But the reality is, yes, the Bible talks about a, a, a last day's apostasy, but it happens through the influence of the Antichrist, who's not here yet, who I believe will not be here until the church is gone. And so rather than us looking for or expecting a last day's apostasy, I think more biblically, we should be expecting a last day's outpouring of the Spirit, because that's what the text says is going to happen. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. This should be the expectation that we as the church have, that we should never give up hope that God will continue until he takes the church out of the world, that he will continue to pour out his spirit. And so when we look at the the dire condition of much of our world, um, the way we should view it is that, you know, this is a possibility for God to work. You know, some people use terms like post-Christian. They talk about uh, various cultures being post-Christian cultures. And that, that is true in a sense. You know, Christianity has come into a culture and it had uh, sort of its heyday, at least in, an, you know, Christianity in a nominal sense. 
but now that is passed and there's you know, usually humanism, secularism has sort of taken over the culture. So it's seen as post-Christian. And for a lot of people, that means uh, there's nothing good <laughs> ahead of us in the future. But, you know, post-Christian, uh, let's just think of it as pre-Christ. Let's just think of it as, you know what, because it's the last days and because God promised to pour out his spirit in the last days, you know, the Lord might still do a work. He might pour out his spirit. Let's not give up hope. Let's have that expectation. And I, and I want you to also see the terminology used here. I will pour out my spirit in those days. What's being described here is like a torrential downpour, just like here on the day of Pentecost. So this is an outpouring of the spirit. This is something that is so uh, apparent that is, that is happening, that God is doing something right here. It, it, like a like a torrential downpour, you know, if it's raining cats and dogs, as we sometimes say, or if it's, uh, you know, if it's, you know, like pouring like buckets, you know, we're talking about some serious rain versus oh, you know, there's a light drizzle outside or it's sprinkling. What what we see here in Acts two and what the the promises for the last days is that there is to be this great outpouring. There is to be this powerful, torrential, deluge type of a thing that is happening. So that's what we're looking at. The second thing I want you to notice and see here is that what, what is happening and the description that Peter gives, this is supernatural. These are supernatural manifestations. And, and we cannot lose sight of this because, you know, I think, I think a lot of Christians especially in the West, a lot of Christians walk around without any expectation of the supernatural whatsoever or without any real belief that there is a supernatural activity that we can expect today. But what we have to remember, and if we read our Bibles faithfully, we will see it clearly. Look, we're t everything in the biblical text reminds us of the supernatural aspect. You know, when you're reading through the scriptures, and especially as we go here through the book of Acts, we're going to see all these references to angels. Angels are interacting. They're intervening. Uh, we, we see these miraculous things happening, healings and deliverances and all of this kind of stuff. And, and here, this good example right here, this thing that's happening where these people are speaking in a language they don't know. And there's the sound of this rushing wind. See, all of that is phenomenon that we as Christians, although we should expect it because the Bible teaches us that that's the world that we live in, oftentimes we live without any expectation of it. Visions, dreams, and prophecy. That's what Peter says is going to happen at the last days. Young men are going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. Young women, young men are going to prophesy. All of my servants are going to prophesy. And, and prophecy here in the last uh, place where Peter uses it, quoting from Joel, is like a, just a general term for the miraculous. So do we expect the miraculous? Are we living with the consciousness that God is at work today and he does things that are supernatural. He does things that can't be humanly or naturally explained. But you know, what happens 
more often than, than not is we get one of two reactions to the supernatural within the church. And on the one hand, there is that tendency to naturalize or to intellectualize the faith. And in doing that, we not only do not expect the supernatural, sadly, we do not even allow for it quite often. You know, there are many people today who are solid, Bible-believing, doctrinally orthodox folk who do not allow for the supernatural, who will tell you things like, you know, God's not going to speak to you unless you've got your Bible open and it's from a chapter and a verse. That's the only time you can be confident that God's speaking to you from chapter or verse. And if there's no chapter and verse to support what you think God's saying to you, then you, you, know, you shouldn't consider that God's speaking to you. If somebody comes up to you and says something like, hey, you know, the Lord put on my heart that he wants to, you know, he wants you to know this. Uh, they would say, you know, no, the Lord doesn't do things like that. So that's, that's one uh, segment of the church. But then there's the other side that is obviously pushing back against that and their position, uh, because so often they're, you know, so desperate for a spiritual experience. But what they end up doing, sadly, is they set aside all discernment, ignore the biblical guidelines for the supernatural, and then they end up opening themselves up to counterfeit experiences that really neither glorify God, nor do they, in the end, bless or benefit man. So, so these are the two extremes, and we need to avoid both of these extremes. We, we need to avoid the extreme that says, no, unless you've got a chapter or verse, God's not speaking to you. But we also need to avoid the extreme where there's all kinds of sort of just like insanity going on and somebody saying, hey, yeah, that crazy thing that's happening, you know, that's the Holy Spirit. A person that's doing that totally weird stuff that's freaking everybody out, yeah, that's the Spirit moving. No, that's not. But you see, that's what happens. You, you get the, the two extremes. What we need to understand is that the Spirit, now remember, and I think sometimes we forget this about the Spirit. Some people forget this. The Spirit, you know, here's the simple dichotomy that we exist, that, that exists within the church. You've got churches that are word-oriented, and you've got churches that are Spirit-oriented. And, you know, and, th and that's the boast. You know, some say, well, man, we're into the word. That's us. We're people of the word. Others are like, well, man, we're people of the spirit. But guess what? The spirit is the author of the word. Let's not forget that. So if you have a true move of the spirit, it's going to be consistent with the word. And if you really are believing with the, what the word says, you're going to have an expectation of the moving of the spirit. So it's not one or the other. It is both things, the word and the spirit. The, the, the spirit works, of course, in unison with what he's already declared in his word. And we will experience the fullness of what God has declared to us in his word as we really let the spirit lead. So what is the word telling us right now? The word is talking to us about visions and dreams and prophecy. And the word talks to us about 
other things as well. Talks to us about words of wisdom and knowledge and healing and the miraculous. And so those, those are the words that were inspired by the Spirit. So the Spirit is going to uh, bring to pass what he has declared in his word. He's not going to go beyond the boundary of his word. He's not going to in any way dismiss or dishonor his word. And so the promise is, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they, my people shall prophesy. You see the church of Jesus Christ, we are the people of the word and the spirit. That's how we should be recognized. We're the people of the word and the spirit. All God's people are to be prophets. Maybe you remember the situation back in the Old Testament, and there was, a, a, there was this time where um, the, the Lord was, you know, Moses was overwhelmed with the task, and so the Lord said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on others to help you. And, and there were a couple of people that Joshua apparently thought their attitude wasn't right, and he didn't feel like they deserve to have that empowering, but God poured his spirit upon them anyway. And so Joshua comes to Moses and he, he sort of registers that complaint. He says, you know, th these, these two men, Eldad and Medad, they're, they're prophesying in the camp. And Moses says, oh, Joshua, are you jealous for me? And then he said this, he said, I would to God that all God's people were prophets. And you know what Moses sort of longed for at that point? You know, if everybody was a prophet, my job would be so much easier. If everybody heard the Lord and responded to the Lord, that would be wonderful. What Moses longed for is what is happening now that the Spirit has come. And so as the Lord pours out his Spirit, as we read here, in those days they shall prophesy. So all of us are, are to be those people that are filled with the Spirit and in tune with the Spirit and that the Spirit might speak through us. So we don't want to get caught in that, uh, that trap of it's, it's one or the other. No, it's, it's both things. And let me just tell you a quick story about a friend who was telling me this story last week just to illustrate the fact that prophecy is alive and well today among God's people. So I'm talking to a friend, and I've known him for a long time, and I know about his ministry, and, and, I know, and we've had conversations over the years about kind of the vision that he has and what he believes the Lord wants him to do, uh, and, and it has to do with a building, and he you know, wants to, to obtain a building that he can kind of set up a base of operation from, and he's got all this vision to do outreach and concerts and you know just all kinds of different things, you know, and obviously he needs a lot of space. And over the years, because he does have a powerful ministry, there have been a few ultra wealthy people that have come along and said, hey, I, I you know, it's on my heart. I want to buy a building for you. But then as the conversation goes, uh, they start talking about the details and so forth. He said, you know, in, and I knew of, of two of these former incidents, uh, he said that it was always kind of, there were strings attached. And he said, I just never really felt a piece. So he just kind of put it on the, the back shelf and was just waiting on the Lord. But he told me last week, he said, you know, I've really been praying again about that, that 
that place. I still feel so strongly that we need a place that we can kind of just set up as our base of operation. So he said, here's what happened. So last week, um, I met this group of people, and I, I, I know this girl, and her cousin came along. She was from Alabama, and uh, she, just in the course of our conversation with the group, she stepped up to me and said, could, uh, could I talk to you privately for a minute? And so he said, sure. So she started talking to him. She said, um, the Lord has shown me that um, he's going to give you a building. And he knows the desires of your heart and all of the things that you've been praying about. He's going he's to give that to you. And so there's a man that's going to approach you and he's going to tell you that he wants to donate this building to you. And this is what the Lord's giving you. And I, I just, it's a brick building. I, I just see it clearly. It's a brick building. Now he's telling me the story and he says in his mind, he's thinking, okay, this girl is crazy. Who is this girl? I've never met her before. I just, you know, and she's telling him everything that's been stirring in his heart. And she says, I'm telling you, you know, and, and he said, she's from Alabama. So he said, it was a little bit hard to understand a lot of what she was saying. So he had, he's, could you say that again? What, uh, you know, Finally, he got the message. So anyway, that was it. She left. That was it. They had a you know, five-minute encounter. Never seen her before. Never met her before. She tells him all of that. So two days later, he goes to do this um, outreach thing. And afterward, this guy comes up to him. And he said, this is like the most ordinary-looking guy imaginable. You know, there's, there's nothing about this guy that would lead you to think that he was rich or that he had influence or that he could do anything. And the guy walks up and says, hey, can I talk to you for a moment? And so he says, yeah, sure. He has no idea what the guy wants to talk about. And so the guy says, you know, I've been following your ministry for years. I've been praying for you. I really believe in your vision. And I've got this building and uh, I want to give it to your ministry. And so he's looking at him like, wait, this guy, does this guy, how does this guy have a building that doesn't even look like he maybe has a house or, you know, he was just like... And, um, and the guy says, yeah. And so come to find out this guy, you know, has, has like built all of these amazing buildings and remodeled all these historic places. So anyway, the guy says to him, he says, Hey, I'd love to take you over and show you, uh, the building. Can we go over on such and such a day? So he says, sure. So they get in the car, they go, they meet there or whatever they pull up. And he said, there it is, this amazing brick building right there in front of him. And the guy says, this is, this is it. I've just had a vision that I want to, I want to donate this to your ministry. That's prophecy. That girl from Alabama who had never seen my friend before, she had a prophetic word. See, those are the things that we should expect. Now, listen, the miraculous is never an end in itself. And this is one of the problems that you have when you get into, you know, sometimes in churches where they're emphasizing prophecy and the miraculous, but, but it kind of just stops there. It's never an end in itself. These things are always a means to the end of proclaiming the gospel. You see, when the people come to Peter and they say, what is this? Peter says, well, I'll tell you what it is. 
This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. These are the last days. And he quotes from Joel. And then from there, where does he go? He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. So you see the miraculous becomes a, a launching pad for the gospel to be proclaimed. And even in the quote from Joel, notice in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So these things, these miraculous things, they do three things. Number one, they glorify God. God is glorified in this. The, those that are, um, you know, the, the spirit has come upon them. Remember they're, they're praising God for his wonderful works. They edify the people of God. God's people are blessed and edified and encouraged through that. You can be absolutely certain that these, uh, 120 upon whom the spirit fell, they were, they were strengthened and, and encouraged and edified through that. But then thirdly, again, the, the gospel proclamation resulting in salvation proceeds from the miraculous. So, and this has always been true. Jesus performed miracles for two reasons. Number one, to bless the people that he performed the miracle on. And number two, as uh, his credential so that people would believe that he was the savior. When Jesus sent the disciples out into the world, he said, go preach the gospel. And he said, these signs will accompany you. So the signs were there to give support to the message that was preached. But my point is this, these things are always about getting the message out. They're, they're not just for the believers to enjoy, although there is that element of that, but these things are for the getting out of the message. Now, this was the day of Pentecost, as we've already noted. Here's a question. Can we have another Pentecost? Is there a need for another Pentecost? Well, the answer to that is, is no, because the day of Pentecost was a unique event in history, not to be repeated again. It was the day when the spirit descended and empowered the church. And so it, it was done then. So there is no repeating of Pentecost, but what we call revival is in many ways, it's really an attempt to get back to the similar kind of experience that they experienced at, at, at Pentecost. And so, although we can't go back and repeat Pentecost, we can experience a revival. Now, we, we talk about revival at times. What is revival? Well, I'll just give you one definition. I could give you many, but I'll give you this one because I think it's, um, I think it's a good, simple, concise definition. A revival is an unusual visitation of God in which a whole community becomes vividly aware of God's immediate and overpowering presence. That, that's what a revival is. Now, again, you see it harkens back to what happened on Pentecost. Everybody knew that day that God was at work. This was a, a supernatural 
manifestation of the power of God. And that's what revival is. It's, a, it's an unusual visitation. It's a time when there is just a, 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 an obvious presence of the Lord. You see God working through large numbers of people coming to faith in Christ through these kinds of uh, gifts and visions and dreams and all of this stuff. All of this stuff begins to uh, be manifested during a time of revival. Now, here's the truth about revival. This is the need of the hour. We desperately need a revival. We, we desperately need uh, in the churches across the nation and around the world a fresh sense of the, of the power of God. This is what we need. You know, our, our country's in bad shape. You know, our country is, uh, it's a mission field. It's a mission field like maybe it, it's not been in a long time. I mean, it always has been to some degree, right? But, but it's a mission field. There are people all over this land that are desperate they, they don't know that there's a God who loves them. They've never heard his voice. They've never experienced his power. They, in many cases, they've never heard the message of the gospel. I ran into a friend this morning, and he just came back from Louisiana. He was telling me that he's, he's involved in law enforcement down there. He said one of the most heartbreaking things is you've got all of these kids, 12 years old, 14 years old, 16 years old. You've got all these kids that are, that are wanting to kill themselves. They're attempting suicide. They're throwing themselves out in front of cars and things like that because they feel that there's no hope. There's no reason to go on living. It's a desperate, desperate situation. And that's happening in lots of places, right? How, how do you even deal with that? What do you do about that? How can that be reversed? This is how. This is what the gospel does. The gospel goes and brings hope to those people who are hopeless. And so this is what happens. The Spirit comes upon us and empowers us and gives us that, that heart to go and accompanies that, that going and that gospel message with this, the sense that God is at work with prophecy and, and visions and dreams and words of wisdom and knowledge and supernatural healings and those kinds of things. So let's, let's not have a Christianity where it's just all information. We just get tons of information in our heads, and then we just sit on it. That's not the intention of uh, God's word is not to just settle us into comfort. It's to fire us up and to motivate us and to give us vision to get out there with the message. And so the, the great need of the hour is for a great work of the Spirit like we're reading about here. And so here's the question as we close. What should we do? What should we do? And let me answer it by looking at what they did. So this is what they did. Three things. Number one, they, well, they waited obediently, but I want to put the emphasis on obedience. You see, they waited for this. Why? Because Jesus told them to. So they were obedient. And that's something that we have got to ask ourselves as well. Are, are we obedient? You know, obedience translates into God's blessing on our lives. Obedience translates into me experiencing uh, the, the power and the working of the Spirit. 
you know, as I obey the Lord, as I say yes to the Lord, you know what happens? I become more and more sensitive to his spirit. And the more sensitive I am to his spirit, the more I'm potentially going to be used by God because I can hear, sense, feel when the spirit is speaking and wanting me to go in a direction. So we've got to be obedient. Secondly, we see in the context that they sought God sincerely. All of this happened, this, this mighty rushing wind sound and the, the, the cloven tongues of fire upon their heads. All of this happened as they were gathered together, all of them in this upper room seeking the Lord. They were all there together seeking the Lord. This is the second question. Are we seeking the Lord sincerely? Are we really seeking him out? Are we really seeking his, his will? Or have we settled into, you know, like I know enough, I know enough about his will, I've done enough, I'm doing enough. Are we actually at a place where we're seeking God? You know, what, what do you want from my life? I, I'm seeking you. I mean, we see the massive need, right? How does the need get met? Well, generally God meets it by sending his people to meet it. So are we seeking him to find out what his will is? Are we asking him to really speak into our lives and to guide us? And then the third thing that we note here, it says this twice. It says that they were together in one accord. They lived in harmony with one another. And here's what, one thing that we need to realize. Church unity is an important thing. Because when God pours out his spirit, it's never just upon one church. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're like, Lord, bless us. Bless this right here, us. And, you know, we don't care about anybody else. But Lord, just we want your blessing. But it doesn't work that way. There's never been a revival in the history of the church that hasn't affected the church in a very broad sense. It's never been limited to one church. It's never been limited to one denomination, and it's never been limited to one movement. When God pours out his spirit, it overflows and it touches everybody. And so since we know that that is what happens when God pours out his spirit, that God loves everyone and God sees us all as one. And that's why he pours the spirit out on all of us. Since that's the case, we ought to think about that now. And as we pray, we ought to be praying, Lord, pour out your spirit on us. Yes. But on those guys down the road too. And on that other group over there, Lord, pour out your spirit as far and wide as you can, because your people need revived and all of your people need revived. And it's through your people being revived that the world is going to be changed, that things are going to get better. So those three things, obedience, sincerely seeking God, and living in harmony with one another. And as we do these things, as we seek the Lord, we can expect, remember that, what are the last days about? Well, let's not get hung up on the, oh, it's all about apostasy. It's all about everybody falling away from the faith. So then I become like a heresy hunter and got to find out who's falling away from the faith so I can write about it on the internet and warn everybody. Now forget that. It's a waste of time. We have a job to do. And we are to live in expectation 
of the outpouring of God's spirit, because that's what's going to happen in the last days. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. So I'm believing and praying for another great outpouring of the spirit. And let's all of us believe for that and pray for that together. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Acts. Lord, again, I just feel that it's so timely for us and for your church right now. So we pray that you would, Lord, just the things that we're reading about here, the visions and the dreams and the prophecy and the, the outpouring of the spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we pray for all of these things to happen right here among us, Lord, and to happen with your church. We pray for your church in Orange County, and we pray your blessing upon your people, Lord, Southern California, up and down the whole state, all across the country, north and south, east and west. Lord, we pray for your church that in these last days, you would pour out your spirit in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.